This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by Weldon Keyes. Weldon Keyes was born in 1914 in Beatrice, Nebraska. When he was still a boy, he published his own movie magazine about his favorite Hollywood celebrities. He began to write short stories when he was 20 and worked at the Federal Writers Project in Lincoln during the Depression. But when a novel of his was rejected in 1942, Keyes turned his attention to writing poetry. Keyes moved to Manhattan a year later with his wife, Anne Swan. He wrote for Time magazine, The Nation, and The New Republic. He also began painting, and his paintings are associated with the abstract expressionist movement. Keyes never fully adjusted to New York City, and in 1950, he and his wife drove cross-country to San Francisco. There, he began to make art films and continued to paint and publish poems. Key's poems are generally formal and restrained, though he's also known for a series of unusual persona poems that were published in The New Yorker. Critic John Thompson called Keyes a representative of his time. Poet Donald Justice believed Keyes was among the best of his generation, saying that his poems spoke in a tone of voice which we have never heard before. By the mid-1950s, Keyes had divorced his wife and was suffering from depression. But his involvement in the San Francisco art scene was energetic and wide-ranging. He wrote music for a short film and co-wrote a book on visual perception. In July of 1955, Keyes' car was found abandoned by the Golden Gate Bridge with the key in the ignition. Just before he disappeared, Keyes had told a friend that, like Hart Crane, he wanted to start a new life in Mexico. It is still not known whether he killed himself or went to Mexico. The following poems were recorded in Berkeley, California, in 1952. The Beach in August The day the fat woman in the bright blue bathing suit walked into the water and died, I thought about the human condition. Pieces of old fruit came in and were left by the tide. What I thought about the human condition was this. Old fruit comes in and is left, and dries in the sun. Another fat woman in a dull green bathing suit dives into the water and dies. The pull motors glisten. It is noon. We dry and die in the sun while the seascape arranges old fruit coming in with the tide, glistening at noon. A woman, moderately stout, in a nondescript bathing suit, swims to a pier. A tall woman steps toward the sea. One thinks about the human condition. The tide goes in and goes out. 8. And when your beauty, washed away in impure streams with my desire, is only topic for ill-mannered minds gifted in a glassy with exact recall, gossip and rancid footnotes, or remote despair, let ruined weather perish in the streets, and let the world's black lying flag come down. Only in calendars that mark no spring can there be weather in the mind that moves to you again as you are now. 
tired after love and silent in this house, your back turned to me, quite alone, standing with one hand raised to smooth your hair at a small window, green with rain. 1926 The porch light coming on again, early November, the dead leaves raked in piles, the wicker swing creaking. Across the lots a phonograph is playing Jada, an orange moon. I see the lives of neighbors mapped and marred like all the wars ahead, and are insane, be with his throat cut, fifteen years from now, in Omaha. I did not know them then. My Airedale scratches at the door, and I am back from seeing Milton Sills and Doris Kenyon, twelve years old, the porch light coming on again. Robinson. The dog stops barking after Robinson is gone. His act is over. The world is a gray world, not without violence, and he kicks under the grand piano, the nightmare chase well underway. The mirror from Mexico, stuck to the wall, reflects nothing at all. The glass is black. Robinson alone provides the image Robinsonian, which is all of the room, walls, curtains, shelves, bed, the tinted photograph of Robinson's first wife, rugs, vases, panatellas in a humidor. They would fill the room if Robinson came in. The pages in the books are blank, the books that Robinson has read. That is his favorite chair, or where the chair would be if Robinson were here. All day the phone rings. It could be Robinson calling. It never rings when he is here. Outside, white buildings yellow in the sun. Outside, the birds circle continuously where trees are actual and take no holiday. Robinson at home. Curtains drawn back. The door ajar. All winter long, it seemed, a darkening began. But now the moonlight and the odors of the street conspire and combine toward one community. These are the rooms of Robinson, bleached, wan, and colorless this light, as though all the blurred daybreaks of the spring found an asylum here, perhaps for Robinson alone, who sleeps. Were there more music sifted through the floors, and moonlight of a different kind, he might awake to hear the news at ten, which will be shocking moderately. This sleep is from exhaustion, but his old desire to die like this has known a lessening. Now there is only this coldness that he has to wear, but not in sleep. Observant scholar, traveler, or uncouth bearded figure squatting in a cave, a keen-eyed sniper on the barricades, a heretic in catacombs, a famed roué, a beggar on the streets, the confidant of popes. All these are Robinson in sleep, who mumbles as he turns, There is something in this madhouse that I symbolize, this city, nightmare, black. He wakes in sweat to the terrible moonlight and what might be silence. 
It drones like wires far beyond the roofs, and the long curtains blow into the room. Relating to Robinson. Somewhere in Chelsea, early summer, and walking in the twilight toward the docks, I thought I made out Robinson ahead of me. From an uncurtained second-story room, a radio was playing There's a Small Hotel, a kite twisted above dark rooftops and slow-drifting birds. We were alone there, he and I, inhabiting the empty street. Under a sign for natural bloom cigars, where lights clicked softly in the dusk from red to green, he stopped and gazed into a window where a plaster Venus, modeling a truss, looked out at eastbound traffic. But Robinson, I knew, was out of town. He summers at a place in Maine, sometimes on Fire Island, sometimes the Cape, leaves town in June and comes back after Labor Day. And yet I almost called out Robinson. There was no chance. Just as I passed, turning my head to search his face, his own head turned with mine and fixed me with dilated, terrifying eyes that stopped my blood. His voice came at me like an echo in the dark. I thought I saw the whirlpool opening, kicked all night at a bolted door. You must have followed me from Astor Place. An empty paper floats down at the last. And then a day as huge as yesterday in pairs unrolled its horror on my face until it blocked. Running in sweat to reach the docks, I turned back for a second glance. I had no certainty there in the dark whether it was Robinson or someone else. The block was bare. The Venus, bathed in blue fluorescent light, stared toward the river. As I hurried west, the lights across the bay were coming on. The boats moved silently, and the low whistles blew. That was Weldon Keys, recorded in Berkeley, California in 1952, and used by permission of the University of Nebraska Press. You have been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about Weldon Keys and other essential American poets, and to hear more poetry, go to poetryfoundation.org.